I think the uh, average Catholic's impression of the devil, or who the devil is, is one of two extremes. One is, the devil is basically um, the one who's possessing people all the time, like the Hollywood sort of paranormal activity demon type of thing, um, where the devil is only really present when he's obviously present, manifesting himself in sort of scary ways. and so we are freaked out by those things, those evil things. And we think, as long as, as long as we stay away from that, then the devil's not in my world. Or that the devil is kind of a figment of our imagination or maybe an ancient way of understanding mental illness or um, addiction or different uh, psychological or psychosomatic disorders that we uh, you know, assign to some personified evil, some character, the devil or demons. But the actual Catholic belief about the devil is that he's present. He's prowling about the world. He is a fallen angel, Lucifer, who, deciding not to serve God, recruited a bunch of other angels uh, who also refused uh, to be obedient to God's will and are now prowling about the world, seeking the ruin of souls, trying to seduce human beings into making the same tragic choice to separate themselves from God and therefore be miserable for eternity. The devil's goal is to make you an idolater, to get you addicted to something other than, other than God, to, in other words, pin your infinite desire to love and be loved by God, that thing planted in your heart because you are made in the divine image, to direct that desire to some good in the world, not to God, and therefore to be frustrated forever so that he can laugh at you and mock you forever in his kingdom as, your, as his slave. A great image of the devil, I think, is uh, the witch in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. If you've ever read the first of the Narnia books, the witch is the one who's cast the spell over Narnia and it's made it an eternal winter and all the animals are freezing cold and they're waiting for Aslan to come back from the east to to banish the witch and to um, undo the curse. And the children come into this mysterious world through the wardrobe of that man's house, and uh, they somehow get split up. And Edmund, one of the brothers, uh, is picked up by the witch in her sleigh because she's heard that some new visitors are in Narnia and she wants to find out who they are. So the witch picks up Edmund and separates him from the rest of the family, the rest of the children. And she feeds him this thing called Turkish Delight, this kind of candy thing, baked good or whatever it is. And uh, he eats it, and it's enchanted. And as soon as he eats it, he's hungry for more. He can't stop thinking about how badly he wants another one of them. And so she has this tin of Turkish Delights, and she doles them out basically to make him her obedient slave. She can lead him around like a hog with a ring in his nose. Because now he, and every time he eats them, they get less satisfying. And he needs more and more. And it's more and more frustrating because this, he can't stop thinking about it. He can't stop needing it. And yet he doesn't even like them anymore. It's just, it's caused him more pain than pleasure. That's the image of the devil. Is he wants to have you in his grip. To feed you with something that you, that you think might, if I just have one more, if I just do that one more time, if I behave that way one more time, 
then I'll finally get what I'm looking for. But no, of course, you know it's not going to happen. But he's got you in this chain of idolatry, of addiction, this cycle. So how does the devil normally present himself to us? St. Ignatius writes in his 14 rules of discernment, the first two rules are just basically how the good spirit, namely God, the Holy Spirit, and the evil spirit interact with us, depending on our situation in life. He says that if you're moving from good to better, in other words, you're trying to do God's will, you're trying to turn away from sin and do spiritual practices which draw you closer to Christ, then the devil will bother you. He'll bite at you. He'll discourage you. Make you feel sad. Make you feel powerless, like, I can't do it. I, I should just give up. It's hard. I'm not, I'm not getting anything out of my prayer. Why did I even make this resolution? Obviously, I'm not doing this right, so I should just go back to my old way of life. That's the way the devil will interact with you. And the Holy Spirit, the good spirit, will buoy your spirit, will, will hold you up, will support you, encourage you, give you consolation and comfort, give you strength, especially when you feel weak. On the other hand, if you're moving from bad to worse, if you're in a situation of sin where you've decided to throw yourself fully into that idolatry and you're moving from mortal sin to mortal sin to mortal sin, the devil is just going to say, come on, keep going, right on, and present to you ever more um, pleasures to your senses or to your imagination, Say, yeah, now go after that, now go after that, just leading you, trying to lead you down this primrose path to hell, to get you as far away from God as you possibly can, so that when you do finally realize the frustration, when you hit rock bottom, you're so ashamed that you don't even turn to God. You think, I'm not worthy, I've, I've done too much. That's where the devil wants you. Meanwhile, if you're moving from bad to worse, mortal to sin to mortal sin, the Holy Spirit, on the other hand, is biting at your conscience, kind of giving you that little bit of, of pain, that pang, that prick of your conscience, to get you to call, to call you back. Not because he wants to hurt you, but because God never gives up on you. And so he's always calling the sinner back. And so we'll never really feel satisfied in sin because we're not in God's arms. We're not in God's heart, in his presence. And that's what we really are looking for. So how does Jesus show us how to deal with this annoying liar, this serpent, snake, the devil? Because he goes out in the desert specifically to do battle with him. And that's what our Lenten 40 days are modeled after Jesus' 40 days in the desert. Just as Jesus' 40 days are a reflection of Israel's 40 years in the desert, where they battled with this sin, with this addiction to idolatry. God led them, trying to teach them, trying to break them free of this chain, this fetter of idolatry. So Jesus is showing us in his interaction with the devil just how to do it. So he does three things in all of these three temptations. First thing is that he stands firm. Okay, he doesn't ignore the devil. He doesn't try to pretend that he's not there. <clears throat> Have you ever had this where a temptation enters your mind? Something, some sin, some habit that you know you don't want to do and you just don't even think about it. Like, you know it's there in the back of your mind and you just try to pretend that it's not. And you, it's happened enough times that it's probably going to happen now, now that I've thought about it, now that it's entered my mind. I'm probably going to end up doing that or saying that or whatever. But I'm just going to pretend like it's not an issue right now and keep going about my business. Instead of standing firm and saying, no, I know, I know who you are. I know what you're trying to do to me. Right? To not ignore it, but to acknowledge that some force, some voice is trying to seduce me out of doing God's will. 
to trick me, to name it for what it is. Jesus does that. Then he acts with strength, not weakness. Not saying like, oh, it's so hard. It's really hard to do what I'm supposed to do. And No, he acts with strength, knowing I'm a human being. I have free will. I'm made with dignity. I can choose not to obey your voice. I can do that. It's going to be hard. You know, I, I can say no to the Turkish delight. Right? I have the power to do that. Even though I might go through withdrawal symptoms. I might have the shakes. But I can do it. Because I'm made in God's image. He acts with strength. St. Ignatius says that the devil acts with weakness in the face of strength and strength in the face of weakness. If he sees you're a coward, he'll go after you. But if he sees you acting with strength, the devil cowers. The same, thing, same way with Jesus. Finally, and most importantly, Jesus leans on God's word. He doesn't, in the moment, under pressure, in the temptation, when the devil is trying to trick him, he doesn't lean on his own resources, his own reasoning. He doesn't try to make up a new answer and argue with the devil. He leans on God's word and quotes scripture. He knows the truth because it's been revealed to him by his father. This is the trap that the devil really got Eve in. Right? Is that the I can handle it trap. Eve was arguing with the serpent. Oh, look, a serpent. Oh, he's got some uh, thing he's offering me, this fruit, this forbidden fruit. I know I'm not supposed to do it, but he's got decent reasons and it's pretty good to look at and it's obviously good for wisdom. So maybe, I, you know, what if she had in that moment just said, hey God, what do you think? Do you think she would have fallen? I don't think so. She just asked for help in that moment, for God to come in and intervene and protect her from the serpent. But no, she tried to deal with the serpent by herself. Jesus does not do that. He leans on God and his word, and so we do too. This strength to overcome temptation, this strength to do battle with the devil, is called grace. It's God's gift. which empowers us to do his will, even though we're sinners, even though we're weak. And there are three facts about grace. Grace always exists. It's always present. It's everywhere you are. There's nowhere you can go, no time or place where there's no grace. Grace always is there. It's always available to you. God does not play tricks. He doesn't make prerequisites. If you are a baptized child of God and you're under temptation, grace is available to you if you ask for it. If you accept it, if you cooperate with it, it will be there for you and you can have it if you want it. And finally, grace is victorious. It never loses. God never loses an argument with the devil. Truth always wins. Light always banishes darkness. If you do these three things, you stand firm, acknowledge that the devil is attacking me, that he's trying to do battle with me, to stand firm, to act with strength, and to lean on God's grace, you will never lose. I'll end with this. St. Ignatius, one of his analogies for the devil, is as a captain of an army. And he says that as a captain, he's strategic, and he sends out spies to reconnoiter your army, your soul, your resources. 
And he finds the place that is the weakest, just as any captain of an army would. He tries to find the weakest point in the line. And then once he's found it, he, he puts all his forces right at that point. Because if he knows it, if he can break behind the line, you're done. You're through. He's, you're his. Okay, you know there's seven deadly sins, right? One of those sins for you is worse than the rest. It's your weak point. Google them. Figure out which one it is. That's where the devil is trying to attack you. But God's grace is always present. God's grace is always available. God's grace is always victorious. In this 40 days, this first Sunday of Lent, we're entering into this season. We're in it already. We're in the desert with Jesus. The devil will try to attack you, as he does all the time. Is the devil this one who possesses, who screams and yells in Latin and swear words and and makes all sorts of freaky things like in the movies? Yeah, sometimes, but not very often. But who the devil really is on a daily basis for every single one of us is this seducing voice, that witch with her tin of Turkish delights, trying to lead us away from God. Acknowledge it, stand firm, and lean on God's grace. 